Hello, thank you for joining us. I'm Sarah McGregor and I'm joined by my colleague, Eric Pilcher. Eric is a tax partner and spends his time concentrating on technology companies and is an important part member of our uh, technology industry group. Eric, uh, let's talk some tax planning. It's year end and tax is on the minds of a lot of our clients right now and, and us as well as tax professionals. So I think there's three areas we want to cover for uh, the technology industry companies, sort of an overall accounting method considerations for tax. Let's talk a little bit about credits and then uh, some of the special provisions for equity transactions, since that'll hit most areas of, of many tech companies. So let's first start with some information about um, the overall accounting methods, cash versus accrual. What does that mean and what's the advantage of each? Yeah, uh, thank you, Sarah. Um, for you know, the, you have those sort of you know the cash versus the accrual method, and you know when you hear about you know sort of the cash method, you know a couple of years ago the the IRS changed the rules to allow you know even um, you know a little bit larger companies to be able to qualify for that. You know it's up to twenty six million dollars or less in revenue, so um, that that's a pretty significant uh, you know uh, size of a company still. Uh, and taking advantage of that cash basis, you know, as that accounts receivable keeps increasing, and you know it's larger than your accounts payable and your accrued expenses, you're recognizing, you know, keep recognizing revenue, um, but you haven't necessarily received the cash in the door yet. Um, by using that cash method, you can it allows you to control what's going on a little bit more, especially as you're getting into year end. It controls how much of that accounts receivable am I actually, you know, do I want to push to collect versus how much of say those accounts payable and those accrued expenses I actually want to pay out. You know, that difference between the cash collections in January versus December can have a pretty significant impact because uh, being able to push that, you know, tax out for another 12 months as opposed to, you know, recognizing it in this case 2020 versus 2021 can be pretty significant. It still allows you to have the cash flow and you have the tax considerations at a later date. That's great. Well, why would somebody want to change to a cruel method besides becoming a larger company and being required to change to that? Yeah, so from that accrual method, you know, normally, you know, like I said, you think about, you know, sort of an acceleration of income, but a lot of technology companies, you're, a lot of your clients are signing up for multi-year contracts, you know, two, three, you know, potentially even up to four or five years. Well, is that if on the cash method, if you collect that money today, it's going to be income today. But from the accrual method, you can actually defer that revenue. You can defer that income out for a full tax year. So if you collect it today, you know, in December of 2020, you can push that out and not have to pick it up until 2021 tax return. So saving, you know, in this scenario, you actually do have a cash flow event because you've received it, but you're able to push the income out uh, for purposes of your tax return and not have to pay those taxes till later. Um, and that's really important for those technology companies because, you know, they're expanding, they're growing, they need that cash flow in order to fund their operations and their expansions. So being able to push that tax implication out for, for you know, for even a year can be pretty significant. Great. And for those that uh, companies that may think tax rates are going up in the future, uh, converting from accrual cash to accrual might accelerate some additional income into some lower tax years uh, as well. So it's definitely something we're talking to clients about at this time of year. Let's shift gears and think about credits. Credits frequently are almost, I think, a reward for spending money on on expenditures and getting to be able to convert those expenses into dollars to pay your taxes with. 
uh, particularly the R&D tax credit. Talk a little bit about why that's important for 2020 to reconsider the R&D credit. Yeah, so for for purposes of that research and development credit, you know, Sarah, to your to your point, you know, it's it's a you know a lot of what you know technology companies do. You know, you're you're having to do that research, you're having to develop. You know, you may have a base product, but you're potentially having to customize it for different companies or different clients that you have. So you're doing a lot of that work. So you know, why not take advantage of that and get that credit? Um, you know, for companies that you know that are larger, that are that have been profitable, been having taxes. You know, you can generate that credit in the current period and be able to offset that against your current income taxes, you know, both for fed, both at the federal and the state level. Um, you know, from the state side, it's really just where you're doing, you know, where you're doing the work. Um, you know, for example, if, say, you're in the state of Georgia, you know, if you're doing the work in the state of Georgia, you can qualify for their specific state level credit in addition to that federal credit. And the other thing for 2020, let's say, you know, let's say you, you have your company isn't doing as profitable as it may be even a loss situation for the current period. Well, with the tax rule changes, you can take those credits and I, you can actually carry them back, you know, to, you can carry them back one year uh, or you could go back even into 2019 and, and look at the credits for those years and carry those back, you know, into 2018. So you could potentially carry those credits back into years where you did pay taxes, even if you don't have them today. And 2020, a lot of companies were doing things differently. It's not just about product changes, but processes as well. So, yes, we, we have had a lot of companies where they're doing something differently, you know, whether it's a, a different process, a different way that they're working on it, you know, between the disruptions in supply chains and just the way things were being done previously, you know, the services that are being provided, maybe they, your clients need something different uh, or you found a different way to do something. Um, you know, everybody's had to make changes. So going through that has been been really important for a lot of technology companies uh, and being able to to change up what you're having and what you're doing. All those all those types of adjustments could qualify for research and development. So it's really important to have a discussion with your advisor on that. Uh, you want to make sure that you're looking at all your options, uh, everything that's available to you on the federal and the state level. And so you don't leave any dollars on the table. Is the R&D credit just for large companies or how can small companies take advantage of this? So for smaller companies, you know, uh, and you'll you'll see a lot of those where say maybe they've, they've got a little bit of revenue or maybe, you know, it's possible they even could still be pre-revenue. Um, for those companies that, that have that $5 million and uh, less in, in that revenue bucket, you there's an advantage for those companies as well, because as opposed to uh, maybe you don't have income taxes today, uh, but you can actually monetize that credit and use it against the Social Security portion of your employer payroll taxes. So it allows you to use that credit and it also carries forward. So even if, say, uh, you're not able to use it, say, in the first quarter, you know, uh, after for your payroll, you can keep using that out. You can keep extending. So you can keep offsetting it quarter after quarter after quarter until it expires. Uh, and a lot of the states have the same uh, the same uh, advisement for small companies. So you can use that to be able to offset your current expenses to, in order to save that current cash that you, um, you know, a lot of tech technology companies really need. Yes, and speaking of cash, I know that uh, tech companies in, in the startup phase and growth phases are always hungry for more cash. Uh, let's talk about funding a little bit and equity transactions. I know you've had a couple of clients dealing with what we refer to as Section 1202 stock gains. Uh, what's the advantage of, of a 1202 stock gain and, and what is it? So. Um the 1202 stock, so that, that you'll also see that reference is qualified small business stock. Um, you know, that's when, you know, there's a C corporation 
that has $50 million and less uh, in gross assets, you know, with the uh, with the stock. And we'll, we'll talk about, uh, you know, how you sort of qualify. But the big kicker behind that is that if you qualify for it, you can exclude 100% of the capital gain on the sale of that stock at the greater of $10 million or 10 times your stock basis. So that could be a pretty significant benefit for those smaller companies as they begin to grow and get knowing that appreciation is going to be, you know, essentially tax exempt for, you know, for those investors, for those founders, for those individuals can be, you know, obviously that's hugely significant and allows them to to benefit greater from, you know, all the hard work they put in. Um, you know, the types, the the investors that would qualify, you know, it basically, you know, it, it's any type of investor that's either, say, uh, uh, purchasing shares or receiving shares as compensation for services. So, so you can reward those employees, you know, that have done the work for you and, and be able to build that up. And also they can receive some of the benefits as well. Um, you have to hold the stock for at least five years. So, so there is a, there is a time horizon that you have to be able to hold on to it and be able to, to, uh, to have that. Um, and the owners, though, the owners of the stock, it can be an S corporation, it can be a partnership, individuals, trust, anything other than another C corporation. So it does allow you to have um, when those investors come in, because sometimes a lot of times they want to invest in a C corporation. So it doesn't necessarily uh, disqualify anyone because they say they're coming in as a partnership or an LLC. So, Eric, you said the company needs to be a C corporation to qualify. I know a lot of uh tech companies when they start out their pass-through entities does that mean that the owners of these pass-through entities will not qualify for this not necessarily so we actually had a, a company recently where they were a uh, they were an llc they were flow through as a partnership and they had an investment round they had an investor come in and that investor required them to convert to a c corporation because that was the, the vehicle that they wanted to invest in so we were able to structure uh the the um the original founders of their partnership, that partnership was able to qualify as a as a 1202 investor in that new C corporation. So it was able to allow the individuals of the partnership. Everybody could still receive the benefits of the 1202 stock, even though they didn't start out as a C corporation. Uh, you could also we've also seen scenarios where the partnership itself could could actually convert to a C corporation and they could still qualify for that uh, for that 1202 benefit. So. Um, I wouldn't. So don't just assume just because that you're a uh, you're either a float a partnership or a flow through entity now, or you're going to convert that you don't qualify for it. You don't have to start as a C corporation. It's just the point in time where, like I said, you've got that C corporation stock. And Eric, is it only the founders, or can those coming in in a later round, uh, putting new equity into a, a C corporation, qualify as well? Uh, those later investors can also qualify because the company itself, for purposes of a, a, a qualified small business uh, stock company, uh, is only when there's 50 million of gross assets or uh, or less than 50 million of gross assets in the company. So, the founders, you know, would come in say at the start, but you know, say that investor round comes in and they're now at 30 million dollars of gross assets, it still qualifies. So even though those individuals came in at a later point their stock would also qualify as a 1202 because it hasn't reached the 50 million mark yet. So, so it does allow multiple uh, investors, you know, especially those first, maybe even a second round, depending on how the, uh, the sizing comes in or those sort of angel angel investors, uh, it allows them to also receive the benefit. And that's why you'll see a lot of them want to make sure that they got sort of a C corporation there, because a lot of times that's what they're trying to make sure 
uh, and take a look at for purposes of, of getting, you know, maximizing their, uh, their benefits as well. Great. So three things to really think about as uh, companies come up on year end from a tax planning perspective. Uh, what's their overall cash method or accrual method? Taking a look at credits and also making sure if a company does qualify for 1202 or wants to qualify for this special gain exclusion provision, uh, that they are keeping records about the company and about the investors to make that happen. So thank you, Eric, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again about tax and tech.